Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Welcome to Talking Comics, episode 271. I'm your host, Mara Wood, and I'm here with Bob Ryer. Hey, Steve! Joy Bertino. Hello! And Carolyn Coca. Hi! And Steve Say is not with us again this week. Um, some medical complications, hospital stay, but, you know, he's staying positive. He's in good hands. Bob's been visiting him. Um, apparently he's got video games set up in his his room so i guess diablo resident evil going full bore there was good news late today steve's been been moved to a moving to a regular room okay out of the icu out of the icu Mm -hmm. so it sounds as if definitely turned the corner so best wishes to steve and bronwyn and Everybody, you know, he's dead underscore anchorus on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And if you want to reach out to him, he may not, he and Bron may not get back to you instantly in the way that Twitter is usually done because, well, there's stuff going on and there's not a whole lot of internet <laughs> in that hospital. True. Uh, that said, they will definitely get back to you and everything really makes his, his burden lighter. So mm-hmm. if you get a chance, send him out a message. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, so hopefully he gets better soon. Hopefully get all the yep. answers and everything he needs because we miss him. We need him back on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely, yeah. uh, show's we, not the same without him. No yeah. offense, Carolyn. But- <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this week we've invited Carolyn on as yeah. our as our fourth. I'm just perched on the seat, just keeping it a little warm. <laughs> um, Carolyn and I recently did a, a Patreon Star Wars Year in Review, which hopefully will be released soon to the wider public because I swear once a week I get a, a tweet from someone saying, hey, where's your Star Wars podcast? Thinking huh. that we are, we've started a, a new Star Wars podcast or something. Oh, oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> I don't think I can do that often. Um, but I, I had fun doing it. I think something that uh, I think something the two of us are interested in pursuing more than just once a year. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it was a lot of fun, and we covered a lot of different media. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in any part of Star Wars, I think you'd like it. Yeah, and we have some Star Wars to talk about later this episode. Yeah, um, we do. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. But um, before we dive into that, how how are how is everyone? I'm. What's that, Joey? Uh, go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, if my voice sounds a little odd today, I'm under the weather. All those darn sick people in the hospital, I think, gave me something. <laughs> uh, so if if it starts to sound really like Thanos or Darkseid by the end of this, you know what happened. Mm. Succumb <sighs> nice. to the sickness. Yes, exactly. Other than that, you know, it snowed here in New York, only a little. More by, by Carolyn than I, but still... 
it snowed, and Mara, you tell us it was 75 in Arkansas. It was you. beautiful. <laughs> it was a great That's day. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Arkansas is a weird place. It, you get snow and sunshine in the same week, and um, even in, sometimes in the same day. It's, it's a weird place. But, yeah, sat on the porch with my beer and my dog, uh, just oh. enjoying the sunlight and reading my comics. So. If I had nice. done that, I'd have frostbite and pneumonia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, wet, and wet comics, too. <laughs> yes, I was inside with a tall glass of water and my daughter who has strep throat. So my day, was, my day was a little bit different from yours. <laughs> How's yes. Anna feeling? Can Anna feel a little better? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> no, it just, it just started last night. So I guess we've got a few days to go. I've never, I don't know how I got to be 45 and never had strep throat, but I never have, so... My understanding, though, is that it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not fun. When I was a kid, when I was mm-hmm. a kid, probably about Anna's age, I used to get strep throat all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah and, they asked me today if she was prone to it because I guess some people, you, you just get it a lot. Is that what happened to you? Like if yeah, you get it once, and, you get it more than once. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, they, I, and they, they said to do the, the throat swap and they do yes. the thing. Oh, it's awful. I'm, a, back in I'm there. allergic. I'm allergic to penicillin. So I used to have to take oh. like the alternate medicine mm-hmm. and it was it was awful. It was the worst. It was like this thing. It was like textured like bananas. It was like banana texture, but it didn't taste like bananas. Oh, mm-hmm. awful. She'll, she'll be fine, though. I'm fine. Be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'll tell her it could be worse. She could be having textured banana. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think the worst strep case for me was um, my sophomore year of college. I had strep, bronchiolitis, and an upper respiratory infection all in the same week, which Ugh. was also finals week. Oh. The week that you're supposed to you know, finish taking your test and go home for Christmas break. And I remember taking a test and I spent like 10 minutes on it and trying to get back to my dorm and like taking the elevator and just sitting in the elevator while like lying down oh. the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and just, just like, like crawling back to bed and texting my roommate to finish up her test so she can come take care of me and help me get back in the car. Pour oh, <laughs> soup down your throat. <laughs> but strep, strep's not, it's no joke. But I haven't, I, I will say that like I had it a lot when I was a kid and I don't have it anymore. Like what? it's not, it's not like something that you continue to get. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. It dies down eventually. It's like, it's like ear infections. I think like you get a lot of ear infections when you're a kid or at least I did. Right. I was just, I was just ill all the time. <laughs> oh, no. Sickly joy. Uh, yeah. Hey, my parents still sent me to school. They're like, get out of bed. You're going to school. We got to go to work. <laughs> get oh, no, wait, I do have one positive thing, though. I saw yeah. fences over the weekend. So I just want to say everybody Whoa. should see fences if you have not seen fences. Fences was great. Wow. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. And it's very true to this the play. Like, yeah, I was surprised when they gave August Wilson the screenplay credit when like the trailers and stuff. And I was like, but wait a minute. Yeah. He's not alive. Nope. But 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 essentially what he Denzel did uh was just use the script, just use the play and just film it. And it works. It really does. It's a great, great story, great film, great play. Yep. Wonder how long Denzel might have sat on this idea until he was old enough to play. Well the part. about four, four years ago, five yeah. years ago, uh he and I think maybe four or five of the cast members that are in the film did it in New York. Yeah. 
And he basically like called them up and was like, yo, let's film it. And they made the movie. Uh, but you know, even though six, seven years or however long it was, it's, it, you're right, Bob. It's a different, it's a different perspective. It's a different, you know, Crazy. feel to it. Um, speaking of things we watched, uh, did anyone else catch <laughs> Riverdale? Yes. Uh oh. What do you think of it? Um. Well, I should I should probably preface what I'm going to say by saying that I never loved Archie comics. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So, because if I did, I would probably have a different perspective. And I, the reason that I didn't was because I didn't think Archie was very interesting, and I didn't like decades of two girls fighting over a boy kind of thing. So, what I liked about Riverdale was that Archie's still boring, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> although he has nice abs um, and some statutory rape. But yeah, what, yeah. I, what I really liked uh, was Betty and Veronica oh, because man. they they just were, they, they were much more full characters. So I felt good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Archie meets Dawson's Creek meets Twin Peaks. I don't know how it'll play out. I mean, yeah. I can say more about little stuff if you want, but overall, I thought it's worth a chance. Yeah, I I, I liked the first episode. I was I was an Archie kid, like oh. the double digest, and I used to rip mm-hmm. out pages I liked and pin it to my wall, and <laughs> just it was it was my thing. Um, so I was really freaked out by the interpretation of it because mm-hmm. it was totally against my memory of of the comics, uh-uh. but. It, it makes sense. And um, after I watched that first episode, I went back and read Mark Wade's volume one of the Archie series. Um, Me too. Yeah. I was like, okay, so what's Archie doing these days? What what did I miss? And it turns out it's a little bit more in line with a, a modern take of the character. Mm. At least that's- yeah, ex- except I felt like in the, the Wade and Staples, it seemed to me like Veronica was, was pretty awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just really unsympathetic, and I just, I, I just didn't enjoy reading it. Mm-hmm. I, I did read um, the the first several of Afterlife with Archie, and I don't even like zombies, but I thought that was very good. Yeah, I think yeah. I read that when it was coming out, like the first mm-hmm. issue or or two, and I think it was one of those that I fell off of because it was so because it never came back sporadic yeah (laughs) totally Uh, but they did a good job in Riverdale making Veronica a sympathetic character. And yeah. I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, Veronica was my favorite character because I was a kid and I was superficial and she had money. Sure. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's 10-year-old Mara for you. <laughs> um, and, and the way you liked Archie as a kid, I liked Josie and the Pussycats. Um, so, I mean, I watched the hell out of that cartoon and uh, I read some of the more classic comics. I can't say – I mean, it was only one episode – Josie's main characteristic basically usually is her sweetness and this Josie did not seem very sweet I mean I understand why she wasn't sweet in that scene but I I hope they don't make her unpleasant yeah yeah there's a there's there's hope you know let's build up our characters a little bit more let's give the the pussycats more screen time but Riverdale was definitely something something interesting to to see interesting see I saw the trailer and I was like no thanks, but now I might I might check out the pilot. Yeah. Well, they yeah, I mean there were things that you felt like they were trying too hard like with Kevin Keller for instance. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me four times in the first 10 minutes that he's gay. 
You don't have to say it out loud. You could show rather than tell, for instance. Um, and you don't have to have a very convoluted reason why Betty and Veronica kiss for a second because it has nothing to do with anything. And it, you know, so that kind of stuff can go. Um, and I, I get the impression people are pretty annoyed about um, the. <laughs> that Archie has a sex life or a statutory <laughs> life, depending. I mean, my I, I feel like I have to say just something quick about that because he, uh, well, be, because I, before I started writing about comics, I actually wrote about adolescent sexuality and statutory rape laws. So for all the people on, on Twitter who are saying that's criminal, it actually may not be because it's actually not illegal in every state for two people in those particular situations to be having sex. It depends on the state. It depends on the state. where is Riverdale? Exactly. (laughs) It depends on the state in which you live. And it also depends on how old the younger person is and how many years older the older person is. Um, That's not to say I support it, but it isn't necessarily illegal. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of skeevy. Of course. Drama skeevy kind of way. Yes. Stay away from her, Archie. She bad names. <laughs> is this well, a I new think... character? Is this someone new oh, we a, haven't it's met a, before? It's a classic character. Oh, yeah. Oh. De-aged oh, significantly. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll know the name. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go watch it right now. Oh. <laughs> okay, Joey, we'll see you in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, hot take. <laughs> let's, let's get into some of our comics. Um, we're going to kick off this week with our indie comics. And... I moved manga to the top of the list. Good for uh, you. Yeah, because I figured, you know, no one else is going to come and touch this subject but me. But um, this past week, I read the latest volume of Everyone's Getting Married by Izumi Miyazono. And this is a Jose series from Viz, from Shoujo Beat. So it's aimed for more mature, older, older women. And I've talked about this series before uh, when it was first coming out about um, Asuka, who is a career woman who wants to be a homemaker. And she's very good at her job. She works in real estate. She does home loans. Um, She's very dedicated, but she grew up in a household with a stay-at-home mom, and she saw her mom as the most important figure in the household. And she wanted that responsibility when she grew up, but in her eyes, she needs to find a husband to support someone that she feels is deserving of that type of... mm, I don't want to use the word servitude, but servitude. Um, So she falls in love with a newscaster, very handsome, very sweet, who loves her too, but he doesn't want to get married. Something's happened in his past and he doesn't want to touch it. So the whole series is this push and pull between the two of them. I want to get married. I don't want to get married. Well, what do we do? Or let's keep dating. It's a very, very interesting series. And um, she is starting to to come to the fact that Do I want to get married or do I want to be with the right person? What is more important to me? What is more important to the relationships I'm in Um, and things like that? So if you're looking for a mature relationship series that kind of tackles this issue of um, what, what do you want in your life? And, you know, is, is a job the right thing for you? Is, is being a stay at home mom, the right thing for you? This is kind of a, an interesting take on that. So everyone's getting married Viz Media. We're three volumes in, so it's easy to go through and, and pick it up. And it's a um, rated M 
series. So there's like sex in it and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, staying in that romance rated M field. Yeah. Uh, Bob and I got to finish Sunstone Volume Five this past week. Oh boy. <laughs> so Bob, what did you what did it, you think of it? Look, this is epic in every way possible. First of all, it's immense. It's huge, mm. huge. It's twice the size of the others. And in terms of story content and emotional impact, it is off the charts. I there will be I'll have a review that should be going up in the morning, provided, you know, there's not enough snow to tear down my internet or whatever. But I try I don't want to spoil this. I'm sure there's still people catching up. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try as I did there. Just to say that for those who've read Volume 4, there's a problem between Allie and Lisa, and it's all regarding their inability to communicate their own needs and wants and desires to each other. They do a lot of things, but not everything. They don't say everything. That's then sparked a rift between them, some jealousies at at one point early on. Where Lisa comments, I always thought of jealousy as a projection of one's own insecurities, and that day mine was in IMAX. <laughs> it's there's a back and forth that they're trying to get get back. We get to see some of the introductions of story arcs that will take place during the new series Mercy. It is brilliantly drawn, it is deeply emotional, it is still funny. I don't want to paint this at its Wuthering Heights, folks. But there is that level of tragic and romantic mixed together as things swirl back together. There's a spread here. It's a two-page spread where it says, she loves me, loves me not, pulling petals from a flower as they drift down the entire... Yes, exactly. It's beautiful. That motif that he he weaves in there with the, the florals and the designs and things like that. It's like, I want posters of these pages. Yes. It, it is absolutely gorgeous. And the words that accompany them are just as, as lovely where Lisa describes she's using her stories just as her stories were what got the two of them to meet. There's, she's hoping her stories can get them back together. So she, she crafts a set of five stories. My jealousy, my appreciation, my friendship, my mistress. And I'll leave the title of the last one to your imagination because mm. it's it's important and it changes. Yeah. But she, she describes at one point petals and puzzles and pages of stories, all the strange pieces of the bridge we built together that night, that New Year's Eve. I gathered my courage and journeyed across it finally. <gasps> yeah, this so is good. so amazing at every level. Mara, go before uh, I get, I'm getting all I'm, teary. Yeah, <laughs> to lighten the mood a little yeah, bit. Okay. Um, I so want to read. Lisa's um, fan fiction, her yeah. pornographic fiction yeah. she writes for the internet, yeah. just based on the snippets we get of, of how she's, um, you know, trying to work this into their overall story. Uh, so I may be diving into the deep recesses of the internet sometime. Um, okay. <laughs> looking for, for that type of emotional story and connections and just the community of people who really support her and, and her writing and how that impacts her as we see her present day writing the story of, of the two of them. It's, it's a pretty cool way to weave multiple cultures together. Um, uh, Siapan has um, shed light on the BDSM culture as well as, um, you know, unconventional quote unquote relationships and also 
finding your place on the internet and finding your, your niche. And for Lisa, I mean, she, she makes money doing it too, which is really cool. Um, yeah. But it's just like, man, Sunson's got something for everyone in it. Did you notice that we talk about the other communities, the gaming community always yeah. well represented. Yes. Did you notice who, who was gaming? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Vlad. That Vlad and they mentioned, I don't and, know if and, Ellie was in it. Ellie. They, mentioned they, meant, they mentioned Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bigger world. We're going to get more, more and more of it. So if you haven't checked out that interview that we did with um, Siapan and Linda, go check it out. So obviously if you're listening yeah. to this episode, you probably already listened to that interview, but <laughs> listen to it again. Listen to it again. <laughs> Just go listen to it again. Um, we have a, a couple of new issues that came out this week. Um, first one we want to hit on is Lady Castle number one. <gasps> Lady Castle number one, one. from Boom Studio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the top publisher of 2016. Just going <laughs> to keep saying that. I'm going to say it every week. Um, Lady Castle number one, Delilah S. Dawson, Ashley A. Woods on art. Uh, classic fairy tale, Knights of the Round Table, Swords and Dragon Fair, except of course when King Mancastle. What a, <laughs> what a name, right? And his and his crew of manly what a, knights. What a uh, Yeah, disappear out of uh, the battlefield. The kingdom is left to all the ladies that they left behind. Uh, we get a nice little flip on the Arthurian sword in the stone legend, and we're left with Queen Marinor and the newly freed Princess Eve. Uh, and we're off to the races as they remake the kingdom as only ladies can, uh, which is brilliantly, of course, uh, both figuratively and literally. Uh, I think like one of my favorite parts was when the fiery salander, salamanders rain down on the yeah. kingdom and the, yep. the one remaining dude is like, let's kill them all. <laughs> and Marinor's like, no, let's stick them in these mason jars and make lights, right? <laughs> that makes sense. Let's do that. Um, this is a lot of fun. Um, there was a lot of kind of like, you can be whatever you want to be regardless of gender messaging here. Um, which was awesome to read. I did think that there was a lot of that and left little room for any kind of like more plot. I did kind of wish that there was a little bit more story going on, but Hey, whatever, I'll take it. It was <laughs> fun. and I love the messaging. So it worked for me. Uh, and I thought it looked cool. Um, what'd you guys think? Yeah, I, I I agree with all that. Um, I I um, I was a little concerned in the first couple pages because I thought it felt a little too much like Princeless, mm-hmm. but but then it's not, right? Um, be, because of exactly the the major plot point that you said. But I I also agree with what you said that they were being so careful to make sure that you got the idea that all these women can contribute in their own way to this new order. And they all have great ideas and stable guy is just going to have to adjust. Um, yeah. yeah, that was great. Mm-hmm. Love the, love the heck out of it myself. I love the idea of our, our new King. Yes. And, 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 yet, mm-hmm. and yet the princess Eve is now. Sir. Sure. Uh, but she is the greatest and bravest of all the knights. Mm-hmm. Love Marinor's patent speech. I mean that's that's right there. It didn't didn't talk about crap through a goose, but it was right there, <laughs> right in, right in, right in that spot. I, I I'd said this to Carol. I think it's it it sort of falls between princeless and rat queens. Mm. Yeah, I can it's see in, that. In this, in this little sweet spot, 
And as you're both saying, yeah, it's it's a it's big on setup and big on the ideas. Where issue two goes, once those are in place, that's going to tell whether they're too beholden to the ideas. But yeah. I I have a I have a really good feeling about this book. I can't wait to see what issue two brings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Delilah S. Dawson is a delight to follow on Twitter. Yeah. By the way, I'm not familiar with uh, what have they done other work the two of them, Delilah she, Dawson she's or a Ashley Woods, novelist. Um, Interesting. And she wrote Star Wars: The Perfect Weapon. Um, <laughs> yes. It, it was a digital. I think it's digital only or digital first. I feel like it's a oh. Kindle exclusive, actually. That's how I read it, so I don't remember. Yeah. Um, about okay. So you remember the Force Awakens when they go to Maz's castle, and um, when they walk in, there's like this big giant massive alien and next to him is a human creature a, a lady and she's got um black fingertips um yeah. a skull cap and it looks like this yes that's that's the character that the book is about oh and i forgot uh-huh. her name i know it starts with a b oh no bazine yes i believe that's it Whoa. um okay. i almost said believe okay. but i'm like that's that's not wait it. wait that's i'm gonna check i'm yeah. not sure if that's uh-huh. um but it's a it's like a short novella, digital only, about that character and how like why does she wear such weird clothes? Why does she have black fingertips? Um, what is she her a role in everything? Guy? Huh? Wasn't she a bad guy? Yes. <gasps> but lovable at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's the only other thing I read of Delilah S. Austin. So it was really cool to see her name on a comic book that yeah, I was like, I didn't know she was writing a comic book. Not been paying attention to what's going on in life. It is Bazine. Oh, see, don't doubt yourself. You got this. Yeah. It, well, it kind of came out of my mouth before I thought it, so I wasn't sure. But that, that's how I am with Star Wars, maybe. I don't know. It just, come, just comes out. Yeah. It's just a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, Joey, you read a comic called The Dregs? Oh, the oof. The Dregs. <laughs> Is that a good oh, oof or a bad oof? Black, it's a that's a good oof. Okay. Like a that's oh, like a God. that's like a visceral like oof, dark stuff, man. The Dregs number one, Blastmass Studios. Um, Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson. We had art by Eric Zawatsky and colors by D. Kniff. I'm gonna guess okay. related to Milton Kniff from Perhaps. the Pirates. There we go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So y'all read Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. You read that in high school. You remember that? You didn't spark notes that one? All right. Well, honestly, no. My high school was back when Nixon was president. <laughs> <laughs> quick, 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 quick rundown. Satire about okay. cannibalism. That's what okay. it is. All right. Great. So, well, uh, dregs <laughs> is pretty much the same thing, except with a faux noir detective story woven in. So here's the basic nice. premise. Okay. We're in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which I hear is lovely, by the way, before I get into all the stuff that's about it. And right to Joey, not us. He talked yeah. about British Columbia and Canada. There's, there's a lot of development and new boutiques and artisanal restaurants and stuff opening up. And also, for some reason, all the homeless people that live in the area near all these new places, which is called the Dregs, are vanishing into thin air. Mm. People need drugs and whatever, but we know what's really going on because it's revealed in the opening pages and in all like the teasers that if you read Black Mask books, they put in the back of their issues. The homeless people are getting doped up, kidnapped, brought down into the basements of these fancy restaurants, hacked into pieces, turned into sausages, and then served as artisanal meats. 
Nope. Dies. Ouch. Nope. <laughs> nope is right. It's gruesome. It's uh. It's uh. The detective part is our protagonist, Arnold, a denizen of the dregs, who has a penchant for Raymond Chandler and drugs, uh, and puts himself on the case to look for his friends and figure out what's going on. Um, there's a lot of really cool layouts here as Arnold kind of makes his way around the city and there's like design work with like maps in the gutters. It's really cool. Um, as he tries to piece together the disappearances, but, but, but really like, that's kind of cool, but you really can't get past the opening sequence of some dude being turned into a sausage. Uh, so it's, it's a bold book. It's it like, I was reading the book and I had like a visceral like reaction to it. Um, it's bold. I liked it. I like, you know, I'll always give a black mask book a shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, enticing first issue. Hmm. Uh, I have to ask you're, you're our English professor here. Yeah. Swift's work had to be what? 300 years ago. Yeah. So how much of the politics and satire of that translates to into the story itself and comments on the world we have now? Um, Nadler and Thompson explicitly include an epigraph from a modest proposal okay. in the, at, at the start of the book. Um, and, and the, the, it, it holds true, you know, Swift's work does that regardless, you know, the, the Gulliver's Travels and Modest Proposal, you know, the way that he comments on society, he's not commenting on only the society of the time, but he's commenting on our, our kind of humanistic impulses, right? If we have overpopulation or if we have this kind of thing, what is the alternative? Well, let's eat each other, right? No. <laughs> let's do like that kind of thing. And, and it just, you know, there's, there's a lot in, in Gulliver's Travels that deals with a lot of stuff that I'm sure, you know, we were talking about 1984 off air before you could go even further back and take a look at, at some stuff um, too, that has that philosophical bent, or at least that you can apply that philosophy to. And it holds true. That's why they're classics. That's why they stick around. Well, I guess it, it's HG Wells who sort of flipped what Swift did there with the time machine where the Morlocks and the Eloy, the Eloy are the elite who basically pr produce nothing do nothing but hang around and look at flowers and whatever, and the Morlocks drag them downstairs and eat them. The Morlocks run the machines and do everything, but they eat the rich. Hmm. Nice. So, you know. That's what we should do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, not not lightening the mood at all. Uh, loose Ends, number one. From, it's, a dark, it's a dark time. Yes, from, from Image um, by Jason Latour and Chris Brunner. My understanding is that this comic has been published and then not finished and then published and not finished since 2006. Ooh. Is, is anyone back me up on that or am I crazy? No, I, I agree. He has oh, an essay yeah. in the back, which okay. is confirmed. But yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this one, you know, will get the full story. It's a four issue miniseries and, um, Issue number one kind of introduces us to our characters and our scene. It's a what? What do they call it? A southern southern crime? gothic southern gothic crime story. Yes. Yep. Um, a man named Sonny waiting outside the dive bar. Apparently, his ex works there. Um, chaos ensues. She gets shot. You know, there's there's not a whole lot. Um, from, it just wasn't my style of, of story. It wasn't something that grabbed my my attention, um, especially when it comes to crime stories. 
Brubaker is, is what I tend to go for. Um, the art mm. gave my stomach, like it just turned, turned my stomach, um, which is the effect I'm pretty sure that they were going for. It was just like, everything was so dirty and, um, uncomfortable at times and not saying yeah. like anything was overly sexualized or, or things like that, but just the way that the characters were drawn, you're like, Oh, that almost feels unnatural. Mm. Um, it just put me at disease, which is pretty cool. Um, to see that, to see that in a comic, but I don't know. I don't think I'm going to keep reading it. Um, I, th I thought it was interesting, but it just didn't hook me. I, I'm with you, uh, almost a hundred percent here. It's the same sort of thing for me where I read a lot of horror stuff, watch a lot of horror movies and I can pull that out in that it's unreal. Mm -hmm. It's zombies and monsters and so on. Real people doing awful things to each other sometimes gets me a bit queasy. Yeah. And this started in a dark and weird and slimy, dirty, nasty place and then took a dark turn. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, wow, you know, things hit the fan in a big, big hurry. I think you had some interesting characters in, in what they're doing. We don't yet know why. But I guess it's not exactly my cup of bourbon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate why people would love it, but it's just I don't think it's for me either. I'm going to – I actually didn't really like it, um, <laughs> so I'll be on that side of this. Uh, uh, and just to confirm, in the back in the back matter, he Jason Latour does said, I started working on this book in 2006. Okay. And it looks like they published something in 2011 for 12-gauge. Um, but it hasn't obviously been completed since then. So, okay. and he talks very openly in the back about like he's like we picked a fight with this story and we just kept losing. Um, so I guess uh, they got one one of four here, so we're gonna get them all. But um, I really like I, I'm a big Jason Latour fan um, from some of his work on actually Captain America from a couple of years ago, not Captain America, Winter Soldier from a couple of years ago, and I've kind of been following him um, and. I love the artwork from Chris Brunner and the colors in particular from mm -hmm. Rico Renzi. Like you were talking about how dirty yeah. it looks and how gritty it looks. And I think that the line work does that, but mm -hmm. then the colors he's using like pinks and like neon greens. And like, it's just like, it really pops. And when they cut to the flashbacks or whatever, it's like washed in this like green gray it is gross uh yeah. in a way like almost like in like a gaudy kind of like um oh what's the word it's on vocabulary unit number one for my sophomores lurid that's lurid. <laughs> like this kind of like lurid color coloring to it um and and i totally agree in the, the effect of that mm -hmm. um it, it does it the does job yeah, no, it does channel in a way what I associate with like Jason Latour's work. It's very like Southern Bastards. You know, Jason Aaron writes the the, the quote on the back too. But I got a, I got a thing for, um, like, like what our vision of uh, how do I put this? Be I have careful a thing, here, Joey. <laughs> I have a thing for rural. Noir. Let me put it that way. Like you like oh, there's, like there's a genre. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a thing for taking crime narratives and taking it out of the city and putting it in 
what like places like that we have here, mm-hmm. you know, or like what Jason Aaron's over doing in Southern Bastard. So, uh, excuse me. Um, so like, I there's I don't know. That's just like a genre that I'm kind of like hooked into the last couple of years, and like I've I've seen a lot of films that that kind of channel that kind of idea too, and the way that like um, the way that neo westerns if you will are kind of taking advantage of that too like cop car if you saw cop car from a couple of years ago like that movie was awesome and it took like a crime narrative and translated it to like out in these open fields and there's something about that that i think makes for a really interesting story and i like you take that you take that you know you mentioned ed Brubaker before i love those books but you take that aesthetic and you put it in a different setting and there's something about that that i really hook into so i like loose ends it's a four issue miniseries i'll I'll stick it out and i'll let you guys know how it turns out but uh but yeah no i i I really dug it sweet you must love winter's bone right yeah oh yes love that movie yes Okay. Um, something you don't have to twist Joey's arm to keep reading. Backstagers. <gasps> How cute was that issue? Oh my god. <laughs> cute. It was terrifying. What? No, it was like, it had a good ending to it. Like, it was just... Oh no, Okay, absolutely. by cute, I mean like this one panel where Jory kind of like takes the lead. I was like, oh. Oh yeah. So. Okay, so like, dudes... I, I, this book was terrifying because it was like it opens and it's like a surrealist nightmare. Mm-hmm. Jory's like running around the backstage and all of his friends from St. Genesius and Penitent Angel stage crews are turning into tools and costumes and lighting rigs. They're like, and wow. their faces. It's like he's running around and he's like, what's happening? I, uh, it's craziness. Basically, the symbolism is like the danger of theater, but I guess the danger of real life, let's be real is that you find yourself stuck doing one thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're the lighting guy, you're the seamstress, you're the carpenter. And then eventually you become only that thing. And you, quote, become your function rather than doing it because you love it, which isn't just theater, it's life. There's some great commentary in here about, you know, like uh, they talk about stage crew and they talk about like the whole, like if the crew is good at their jobs, nobody notices and how actors get the credit and all that. But it's really a reminder that, no matter how narrow your job may be, you know, make sure that you do it because you feel like it's important. Uh, and backstagers has really been like about that for me. Like I know that because I'm in theater, like every single person is integral on stage and off. And I try to like teach that notion to my kids because it's a good lesson in life too. like make yourself integral, make yourself important, do something you love and do it well. Um, that's what theater is. And I'm glad that backstagers exists to explore that. Um, and it was also terrifying to see like this character who loves building sets, like Jory sees him turn into a drill and, and the, the creepy guy that kind of floats out, he's like, he became his function rather than doing it because of, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and I was just like, it was terrifying. And then Mara, as you're saying, like where it ends, where it lands with Jory kind of like finding his thing, mm-hmm. finding his niche is like a really powerful thing because yeah. we've been following since issue one. Um, that was only like really tangentially related to the plot, what I just said, but the story's fun and wacky and Sasha's wonderful and I want this book forever, but we only get two more issues and that makes me sad. So. Well, it, could, it could pull a giant days on us. It could I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. In my communiques with a certain someone, he was like, well... Backstagers ends on this day, so... Okay. 
right. I don't know. All right. We'll so, have to ask it'll go out it, on a but, high note, hopefully. Yes, I hope. So. Yeah. I love the book so much. It's like one of my favorites of all time. What about Dante? <laughs> totally different. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bob, yeah. do you want to talk about it since I just talked about Backstagers? Or do you want? Sure. No, well, it, it's it's a hitman story. It is Matt Hawkins, uh, Derek Robertson, uh, Jason Ning also on the writing. And I, I look, I will cut to the chase. A hit goes wrong, very wrong. And our protagonist, remember our, our book last week, The Assignment? Well, here he gets cursed. And he wakes up with sort of the Mike Tyson face tattoo. They're all over him. He searches for revenge. This is a very, very violent book. There's an interesting twist early, though, in that... Would you say it's the flip side of Lady Killer for a few pages? Where you see yes. a dad with a loving family, and you think you're going there, and then there's a 180 Yeah. as we go to something else. It's well done. Um... Really violent, really bloody, lots of cursing. One, so, 100%, because this was a one-shot, 100% a pitch for a TV show, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like a movie. Yeah, completely like, so. like on AMC, like this is the same publisher that does Walking Dead and all, all those, so like totally like get, get Gerard Butler in here because like they, that's who yeah. they want. Yeah. 100%. I was reading this and I was like, this is a one shot. I feel like they're like walking me through all these beats. Like, where are they going to take this? Is, is either going to be a new series or they're going to take it to some studio and be like, hey, check out this story. You think it could work as a show? Um, I agree. I think that, like, uh, it, very kind of solid, weighty, moody artwork a la like Luke Ross or Steve Epting, kind of. Yeah, like, some absolutely. of that, like, other, that, yeah. Um, it was cool. I, the Lady Killer stuff is only for like a couple of pages, though. And I kind of thought we were going that way. But then they kind of like just kick it out and be like, no, we kidnapped them. If you want to see them again, do the thing, you know. So it, it does kind of go through the motions there. It's well executed. Um, I'm not surprised. Like, I don't know if I don't know if I need an issue two. No. OK. I'd rather watch it than read it. Yeah. At, at that level. Hey, did, did I ever tell the story about, uh, uh, I'll, I'll keep this as short as I can. I have a, a really good friend who written a novel, written some screenplays, who has a very good friend who's a rather famous Star Trek actor named Cole Meany. They're like best buds. Though I've never met Mr. Meany. He's always at this fellow's house when he's here from uh, Spain. He lives in Spain. I've never gotten a chance to meet him. And he was kicking around for something to do, and my friend David came up with this idea of a show for him about a hitman who's sort of tainted by the troubles in Ireland and having lost people to that. And he, he, he came up with an idea. Actually, Bobby pitched some ideas to this, too, where you needed something quirky for this guy to be in. And so we threw at him the idea that what if he's a comic book? geek oh. that one of the reasons he's he's raising all this money he likes to buy comic book stuff so we're making references to all sorts of things and the cover of crisis on infinite earth seven would be involved and he want to buy an original cover of a matt baker phantom lady and all sorts of stuff and it, it actually i mean we got an entire script written he did like it it went to 
think it was to A&E, and they didn't do it. He instead made the movie about the building of the railroad. Huh. But we were in there. With, these hitman stories are everywhere. We, I even wrote one or sort of chimed in on one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Someday, maybe I, I'll drag the script back. We'll do it for a radio show. I'm down. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Carolyn, what did you think of Saga? Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those are Joey reactions right there. <laughs> Um, uh, I'm not sure what to say because I know a lot of people I know because of um, graphic novel bestseller lists which are going away that a lot of wait to buy the trades of Saga so I'm not sure what to say because so many things happened I am one of them but I will take my headphones off and you can say whatever you want (laughs) okay Uh, go for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so, you know, um, so Isabel, the babysitter, is dead. What? <laughs> it happened like three or four issues ago, I think, or two. I know. Yeah, but I, I wait for, oh, okay. But this is the setup of that Hazel is making her father a card because she's happy that he killed her killers, which, of course, okay. is not Marco's thing at all because he's sworn not to kill for so mm-hmm. long. And Alana is like horrified that Hazel is making this card, but she's trying to, you know, not look horrified and whatever. Um, so that's part of it. Our family is reunited and Alana is quite large with her pregnancy. The problem is that all sounds good. Well, OK, not the killing part, but there, the problem is that the ship is headed for a quote unquote time suck. Mm-hmm. Which the whole planet they're like, landed on. Yes, right. Sorry, you're right. The whole planet. Um, which looks like the 2001 Space Baby. Wow. Which is great in and of yeah. itself. Um, but they have but they're not leaving the planet because they're waiting on the little on the local creatures, meerkats? animals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think of them as meerkats. I don't I, yeah. I know that's not what they are, but Right. No, that's fair. Um, so they're waiting for them, but the peril is getting greater, and then they really just have to leave in a hurry. So Hazel doesn't get to say goodbye to her little friend. Alana's upset that Hazel has made this card for Marco. Uh, the will is basically getting killed, and all these little animal people trusting in their god die and then the ship taking off, it's sort of hurtling. And so Ilana has a miscarriage. It's like, oh, my God. It's like blow after blow after blow. And it's like, yes. oh. I mean, you keep we... turning pages and you're yeah. like, oh, geez. And then you keep going, oh, yeah. no. So it was just a jam-packed, excellent issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, this series hasn't hasn't flagged at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And it's a shame that we don't hear people continue to talk about it. And um, I can totally understand that because yeah. you sort of start to take the thing for granted, but it's number 42 and it's just stellar. Mm-hmm. And f- especially for indie comics these yeah. days, it seems like we're having new number ones every other week, but you know, how many of them get to number 10, much less number 42 um, that right. Robert Kirkman so isn't working on basically. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like the only recent sort of criticism that that I've seen of it at all is when they introduce the character Petrichor, at least Uh that's how I pronounce it, um, who is transgender and they introduced her 
one could argue, kind of clumsily. They introduced yeah. her naked. Yeah. And so I did see some criticism floating around about that. But other than that, you just never really see a bad word mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or enough words, if I'm... Yeah, that too. I'm that sure. too. Yeah. So just the plot was fantastic. The dialogue was fantastic. The art was fantastic. Just great. Yeah. And now we've got three months <laughs> until we can figure out what happens next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Which, if they do another time jump to where Hazel's like 10, oh. I'm going to be so sad that we missed out on, on everything that happened between now and then. The first one broke my heart. Yeah. yeah. It'll All keep the way breaking back your heart. Yeah, I know. That's, That's why I can, only do it in, I can only do it in lumps. I can only have my heart broken so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I do like in, in this series um, the character of, of Sophie. Yeah. And how she's just questioning everything. And she's got mm-hmm. her big glasses and her hair pulled up. And I'm like, oh. she's like, this little girl, some, you know, her whole life changed. And it's, it's interesting to see how she interacts and in responds to her environment as she's growing older. So. Right. And what is Gwendolyn teaching her? Uh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Carolyn, you also read, you also are reading Buffy. I, I am, and I, I feel like that's another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, this is the fourth, quote-unquote, season of Buffy Comics. So it was seven seasons on TV, and then comics season eight, then season nine, then season ten, and now this is season 11. So we're on number three now, and basically, <laughs> okay, it's a little, it's a bit heavy-handed, um, as is foreshadowing Civil War II, The Oath, but we'll get there (laughs) later. Um, So what's heavy-handed is that this new season opens with a giant monster attacking San Francisco, which is where our core cast lives now. Classic. Um, Not Angel or Faith yet, at least, but but, um, Buffy, Willow, Xander, Dawn, and 13-year-old Giles. What? Wait, wait. (laughs) Yeah, I read issue one. It was wild. <laughs> well, that was last. I mean, this this happened quite a while ago in Buffy yeah. time. I mean, this happened. Uh, I mean, in comics time, it happened. I don't know, like two years ago at this point. But he dies, and I don't want to talk about how he died or how he got um, resurrected. <laughs> but he got resurrected as a thirteen-year-old. Is he still Giles? Yeah, he's absolutely yeah. Giles in a thirteen-year-old okay, body, and that provides great. a lot of comedy, yeah. as you can imagine. So anyway, what's heavy-handed is that. This giant monster comes out of nowhere and a lot of people die, even though Buffy and her friends fight it off. But the fear of magic, the fear of magical creatures, the fear of non-humans leads the government to create first a quote-unquote census or list of supernatural individuals Mm -hmm. and then leads them to create safe zones, otherwise known as internment camps or concentration camps, for those people. So there's fear there's intolerance. Some of the other slayers, I guess that's a spoiler for season eight, which was like six years ago. <laughs> some season of, seven. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Seven. Good. Yeah. Um, some of the other slayers are helping round up those individuals. Buffy, of course, is refusing. So in this issue, issue three, um, Spike is being shipped off, shipped off to one of the camps. So Buffy goes with him. Um, and Willow goes too because she's trying to help some new and unskilled Wiccans who are being targeted and she, she wants to protect them. So even though the plot itself is a bit of a hammer, um, the dialogue is not because Gage continues 
solidly to have the characters' voices absolutely down pat. And Isaac, Rebecca Isaacs' art is great. So I, you know, I, I think all four seasons of the Buffy comics, while uneven, in that season nine was kind of weak, but season eight and ten and this one re- really are worth looking at. All right. Uh, that's a great recommendation because licensed books are so hard to get correct, that voice idea. Right, right. And and the likenesses, too. So you there, there, there have been a few different artists over the last several years. Um, the way that Isaacs does it is you know exactly who they are, but they're not like oil paintings of the actors. You know, they're like you. It's very clear that they're modeled on them. But they're just comic-y enough that you don't feel like you're watching TV, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the, the way that she manages to translate them, I think, is very effective. Awesome. All right. Wonder Woman came out last week. Wonder Woman. So we talk really? About it. Yeah. Really? <laughs> we actually have a lot of Wonder Woman to talk about this. Yes, we do. So many Amazons. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Bob, why don't you kick it, kick it off with um, sure. number 15? Number 15, which is The Truth Part 1 by Greg Rucka and Liam Sharp. Coming off the events of the last part of The Lies, Diana has found herself realizing everything she's been conditioned to think is her past is not. Mm-hmm. And, and based on the cover, I mean, there are varying covers, it is... Diana in a straitjacket. As we open, she is in an asylum because she thinks she's Wonder Woman. We um, we have a, a wonderful montage that follows of her memories and the grid, which is basically set up to be a brick wall across page after page that drifts into that tree from our year one stories stuff going on, the mirror breaking from the rebirth issue that reforms into Diana's face and some relationships and you turn the page and it's now her mother's face. Mm. Boy, there's there's some great stuff happening. I'm going to say early and late, there's a lot of setup in the middle that we're, we're about the God Watch and what's happening with, with Veronica Kale, her crew, We've got Steve and Etta on the run, along with Barbara Ann Minerva, who makes an interesting decision as we come on, as well as a spectacular revelation that may impact what we're going to see as we look at the the continuation of the year one storyline. I, I wanted more Diana in this issue, I have to say, only because it is her story. I trust we'll get back around to more of her. Later on, she begins hallucinating, but is she, from a wound in her arm caused by a snake bite from way, way back in issue two, I guess it is. Yes. And that very much Alice in Wonderland, sort of, it's it's the caterpillar and so on. I enjoyed it. I want more Diana. And as Joey has been saying, we get more of that in the year one arc than we have in this. Yeah. But what I'm hoping for is we we pull this all together because, again, I'm not sure how long Greg Rucka is around for. He's contracted for 24 issues. So I'm going to embrace each and every one and hope when we get to issue 24 and everything comes back together as I know it will, 
oh, it's going to be amazing. It's amazing now. It's going to be even more amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts and words from everyone else. Who wants to jump into this? Um, I, I'll go. Um, okay. You know, I'm put Uh-oh. off a little bit by the cover. Only, only because I'm like, I'm, there's mental health stigma, and I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I hated the cover. Hated yeah. it. Yeah. Not like, that it wasn't well drawn mm-hmm. or well colored. I don't mean that at all. But it made it just made me super uncomfortable, um, personally and intellectually, for yeah. the reasons you just said. And it doesn't seem to reflect the attitude Diana has while she's contemplating what's going on here. Right. Um, there's a lot of just silence and, and reflection, not a a look of stupor on her face, which is mm-hmm. what this cover gives us. So it's a little bit off-putting right off the bat for me. Um, I did love the setup of, of the bricks and the breaking of the bricks and revisiting the mascara, um, integrating things from Wonder Woman's past that um, I'm real excited to, to continue reading about like more Veronica Kale, more uh, Princess Maru, or uh, not Princess Maru. What do they call her now? Just she's Colonel here. Colonel, okay, Princess Maru, um, and the character in the Lost Panel. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I wasn't gonna. I'm not gonna say who it is because yeah, it's yeah. worth. I mean, if you're if you're a Rucka fan, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, just. Obviously, you've already picked up this comic, so you're squealing as you listen to this with us. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to so be what interesting. what should I Google if um, I don't know who that is? <laughs> I, uh, we'll tell you the name after, because you're going to flip out like how cool this is. Um, I think it's going to be interesting moving forward with the God Watch arc and the Truth arc going on at the same time. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in learning more about what God Watch knows about Diana and the mascara. Yeah, how Barbara Ann Minerva ties into all this mm-hmm. then and now. Do you think that is the God Watch going kind of like f- flashback kind of storyline like year one was? Is that it's, oh, yes. it's or past. They, yeah. Diana's past. Um, <clears throat> when it says like in two weeks, God Watch of Diana's past or something like that. I see. So who who knows um, what that's going to be like, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Ready, I'm ready for Di to pull herself together. Come yeah. on, girl. Yeah, great point on the cover, ladies. Hadn't hadn't given that a, a contemplation, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, <clears throat> Liam Sharp. Something about his work. Every issue, like, feels different to me. Mm-hmm. Like I had to like flip back and be like, wait a minute, is this Liam Sharp again? Like. It, it looks it looks different. I was getting like Frank Quitely vibes this time around, and I wasn't getting those before. I don't know. I don't know. I just okay. haven't the the the, the mm-hmm. second arc or not the second arc, like the the other the the alternate week version of Wonder Woman. I just have always it has just never one hundred percent clicked with me. Um, it's it's the other weeks. It's the year one stuff. The the Minerva stuff that I've, I've found myself really enjoying a lot more. Um, and maybe it's because I don't have the, the, the background in um, the Azarello stuff that he was working to working against, let's say in, in the previous arc or, or the stuff that he might be, you know, alluding to or referencing in this one too. Um, 
I still enjoy it a lot, mm-hmm. but you know, I knew like I got to that last page and I was like, man, everybody else on the show is going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but I'm sure they're going to love it. <laughs> no, Joey, you will I, too. I'm sorry. Go ahead, I, Joey. I agree with Joey. I have um, in general found this present day plot arc, I guess I should say slow and I am getting the references and I feel like they're for, for people who know them, that's great. But otherwise, it's kind of like, oh, who's that lady? Oh, look, there's another lady. I, I guess that name's supposed that. to mean something. Right. So I I I think that um, regardless of your background, it it might not click. Now, that doesn't mean I, I have great faith in Greg Rucka and I'm sure it will all come together. But it, I think it would be difficult for someone to go every other week with this one and feel the the import um that it's that it's clearly supposed to have and you're totally right about that last page i mean i immediately emailed bob and mara and was like have you read it yet because i need to say a thing about a thing because i'm excited about this thing um having said that there's other stuff in there where it was like okay maru yep that's an old villain i know who that is Veronica Kale, yes, Greg Rucka introduced her as a villain. I know who that is. Oh, they just referenced a witch. Pretty sure I know who that is. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Doctor Cyber. Okay, this is the second Doctor Cyber. There's another one before. You know, so um, and then a little reference to Sasha. Yes, I remember Sasha from such and such things. So, it's it's almost like ticking boxes. Which, yeah. knowing the references, I enjoyed a little bit, but I'm not sure they were integrated enough um, for e- even for me. Okay. Which okay, so let's just lock this down for my own edification right now. The woman with the scar and the short do is whom? I think there's more than one woman with a okay. scar. Okay, okay. I think you're you're talking about Mario. The blonde. Oh, the blonde. Okay, Mario. Yeah. The, the blonde, blonde is with the long longer hair is Veronica Kale. Veronica Kale, and then Doctor Cyber is this hologram lady right here. Hmm. I think so. Doctors. Yes. Mm, yeah. So how come she's changing costume in all of the panels? Is that like a thing that she does? Mm, well, this uh, isn't the original Dr. Cyber, so I don't know. But there was another Dr. Cyber before way so back. So it's like a hologram and she's yeah. like, and she's like changing costumes in the holograms. I just didn't understand what was happening. I think it's so more like can- she's a computer program. Right, so uh, she wants to be Thor, and she wants to be, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, that, that whole two-page with the bad guys. I was yeah. like, I have no idea what's going on. Give me some Wonder Woman. And then I realized that Wonder Woman was in the asylum, and I wasn't going to get any Wonder Woman in this issue. And I was like, <laughs> all right, give me give me somebody else that I know and, and have a connection to. And they gave well, me and they and gave the Anna thing- and Barbara and Minerva, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, and Veronica Kale... I'm not sure how much we've gotten here, but when Rucka introduced her in his run before, she was sort of like a Lex Luthor, mm-hmm. someone who sort of resented Wonder Woman. She saw Wonder Woman as sort of having everything easy and having people admire her when she, Veronica Kale, had worked so hard all her life and overcome all these obstacles and became a successful businesswoman. So she sort of had this vendetta against Wonder Woman. And Colonel Maru... Bob, you want to take that one? No, go go for it. You're <laughs> She well, 
I, I mean, the issue there is that they mentioned that her team is called Poison. So if you just sort of remember the name Poison, that's what really what she's about. Was it Doctor? Or yes, Doctor Poison in the old right. old so days. Doctor yeah. Poison in the old days is mm-hmm. is who that was, and the reference to the witch. I mean, because you could have, if you weren't looking for it, you could have easily just gone past that. Probably has to do with Cersei, who is also kind of a traditional Wonder Woman. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Very but if, interesting. But if you don't know all that, they just seem like names. I yeah. Think. Um, yeah, that's the same thing. I was like, the witch. Okay, I guess I'll figure that out in four issues. <laughs> or someone on the show will tell me. Yeah. So thank you, Carolyn. Yeah. <laughs> or, or even that just a line, Sasha betrayed them. Well, Sasha is a character that was introduced by Rucka, and she was Batman's bodyguard. And she was just like this, I mean, a, a regular human person. Um, but just like a really honorable, interesting one that mm-hmm. Batman fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Doggy. Yeah. Yeah. She's a puppy. She does that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had a couple of Wonder Woman crossovers this week that Bob and Carolyn, you guys dove into. Sure. Why? You have to. <laughs> which, which one? Which one would you like, Carolyn? I'll take the other. You want to do Bionic or Batman? The villain in Wonder Woman meets the Bionic Woman is Dr. Cyber. Yes! (laughs) Um, And not exactly the original Dr. Cyber either, but a woman named Gloria Marquez who was in a couple episodes of the 70s Wonder Woman TV show. So, I don't know. Um, the, The thing is this in terms of the bionic woman. I think uh, I should reveal here and now that although most people assume I must have been crazy about Wonder Woman in the 70s, I actually had a bionic woman lunchbox Whoa. <laughs> uh, when I was in elementary school, not a Wonder Woman lunchbox. So when I saw this, I was just so excited. Like, this is the greatest thing. Um, you know, the, the only way they can make me happier is to have like a and 70s happier would be like make me a princess leia meets mary tyler moore comic or something (laughs) (laughs) it was like my life in the 70s so anyway um to see wonder woman and the bionic woman together is really what it's all about and in you know they get along really well they're both really cool with each other they talk about how they have secrets they fly in the invisible plane The, the the thing is you real I think that um, like we, what we were just talking about, I think that if you had not seen both of these shows in the 1970s, you really probably wouldn't appreciate that it's just like an Easter egg fest. Hmm. You know, they're, they're mentioning all these things from the show. The villain is from the show. They're mentioning the organizations that each of their alter egos worked for in the show. You get a Bigfoot um, reference. Just there's a Bigfoot yeah, reference. Yeah. There's a Fembot reference. Yep. Um, both of those things come from, from the Bionic Woman. Um, so I think this issue number two was better than the first one, which was doing a a whole lot of setup. This one, you get a bit more into the plot, which is, I guess, something about stolen missiles. But the, but the thing is you don't really care. So it's kind of like if these were two characters that push your nostalgia button, you'll love it. If not, you might not really know or care what's going on. I have to say. Yeah, it it is. It's a series of interesting moments that don't always connect but yes Mm -hmm. there's there's a lovely bit where jamie summers gets to see the spin yes and it's whoa whoa 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, that's cool. And they're flying in the plane for a panel. That's cool. And they just have this, there's a panel where, I don't know, um, Diana's blocking something with a bracelet and Jamie's like doing a, a high kick at, yeah. at, a, at a villain. And, you know, so those those things were great. But the actual, the plot holding it together, I, I think, suffers from trying to stuff every character from both shows into it. Yeah. And Andy Mangles, big fan. You know, huge does, fan, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And great that he's trying to get all this together. Oh, yeah. Would have, been, would have been better as a graphic novel than four issues coming out monthly, probably. Yeah. yeah. I know it's available digitally as well. Uh, I Look, I'm in because I, I had to be. Yeah. So, <laughs> great. And, I, and I'll go to the end, and I'm sure I'll, as at the end of it, I'll say, you know, I enjoyed that they did it. Had a great time. Could have been better. Yes. So so fun if you're familiar with stuff. Maybe less so if you're not. Yeah. All right. What about the crossover with Batman 66? Well, I... Now, for this one, I felt this did a lot of things well that we're now saying the Bionic Woman crossover didn't. <laughs> um this is Mark Andreco, Jeff Parker, and Dennis Hahn. Oh, David Hahn, I'm sorry. David Hahn. And it is Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77 in 1942. <laughs> Just for fun. Because we, we open with, it's it's a, a robbery by the Catwoman, and it's the Eartha Kitt version, who's trying to steal this rare book. Batman and Robin show up, do what the Cape Crusaders do, uh, and very much in character. The the, the dialogue is, is spot on. Art is very playful. In, in a way, a little Joel Jones-ish. Mm-hmm. In its own way, very angular, very fashion-y at some levels. And we get back to a story that Batman and Alfred are telling Robin about this day years ago when that book came into play and there was another event and we met the greatest superheroine of all time. And it's a it's an estate and a, a rare book auction, and Diana Prince and Steve Trevor show up along with, well, can I should I spoil it, Carolyn, to say who's involved? Yes, I should go for this. It's Raz Al Ghul. What? Yes, yes. He wants that book. He wants that <laughs> book because he's not a nice fella, and. Lots of back and forth. We get the young Talia. By the way, it is Talia early on who wants the book stolen in the present. So lovely tie-ins there. She, young Talia and young Bruce are doing stuff, having some fun. And they also get to see Diana Prince transform into Wonder Woman. Lovely cliffhanger ending, which I won't spoil completely to say, but bad things are happening for young Bruce. He's got to be careful. Mm. I enjoy. I enjoyed the heck out of this book. Can't wait to see where we go next. I thought the art and words were lovely together. Again, if you're not a fan of cartoony sort of art, this may not be to your liking. But I think it fit this these two characters perfectly in this setting. Excellent. What do you think, Carolyn? But you're talking about number one. I'm talking about the. Yeah, I'm only up to number one in print. Oh, okay. <laughs> then which <laughs> is one and two, I guess, digitally. Um, I'm a little further than that digitally, but I didn't write down the number. I'm sorry. There, okay, you're, this, there ends are a the, few, this ends in the hedge maze. Yeah. So there are a few with Kid Bruce. 
and okay. an adult Diana. The one that I just read is Batman age Bruce with Robin and they go to Themyscira. Awesome. With Catwoman. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, oh, yes. And it's, but it's still about the book. Um, and there's a, a an interesting plot point where they have to go, they're being told that they have to go to another island. Um, and um, there's a labyrinth on that island. And then in the middle of the labyrinth, Diana is telling them, uh, I can't remember what she calls it. She says something like, well, in the middle of the labyrinth, there's these Elysian Springs or something like that. And Batman's like, we call it the Lazarus Pit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. And that's how it and that's how it ends. So it's um, it kind of is uh, it, it ramps up what is basically the same plot and brings it into, I guess, 1966. That's great. Nice. And yeah. Great. It's so much fun. And look, I, I meant to get the All Reds cover. Yeah. yeah. Diana in the invisible jet and the bat copter flying around. Only that he could do the insides too. But I, I'll tell you, I'm. I, it's not even a leap of faith. It's like all these retro series have been a lot of fun. Yeah. So even if not always great, they're, they're a lovely diversion for some of what goes on in comics and. I'm glad to hear that as we move forward, we're getting into other crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Um, we had another Wonder Woman book come out on Sands this week, and that is The Odyssey of the Amazons by yeah. Kevin Gravu and Ryan Benjamin. Um, I am unfamiliar with both of these creators. Uh, Kevin Gravu is most associated with like films. Okay. Like he's writer director. He was in the Underworld movies too. He's acts acts in some acts in some movies too. He's pretty cool. Okay, I like him. Who was he in the Underworld movies? He was like the he was one of the big dudes that like was just a bruiser. Just one okay. of the, I think I want. Let me confirm that. I don't want to like give this guy credit yeah. for like. So he's like CM Punk. He's become a comic book writer. <laughs> yeah. This is well, a, he's done work before. Well, okay, go ahead. Yeah. This is a, a one of six miniseries telling the story of the Amazons well before Diana comes onto the scene. Uh, it's a cool premise. It's just, there's something, something off about it for me. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we're in rebirth right now. And we're not exactly sure what's true and what's not when it comes to the history of the Amazons or Wonder well, Woman. Yeah. yeah. Which Themyscira is it we're now looking at? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So this, this story tells of groups of Amazons who leave Themyscira to go and recruit members of their race, women who are like them. Um, they're more or less seeking out immortal women. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But why? What's, what's, that why aren't they already on the mascara? Why aren't they already? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of confusion on my part because I'm like, okay, so what? What? How? I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand what's going on. How this fits into the Amazon mythology that we already know. Um, it just it seems contradictory to everything that's been put out. I mean, the Amazons were created by the Greek gods in the comics, given seclusion. They don't continue to lead the island after 
Hercules comes around and rapes them all. You know, they, they don't well, do that. Yeah. And that's what they're doing in this comic. They're having... There was... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, there was... I meant to look it up and I forgot, but Bob will remember. Bob, who was it who, who wrote about um, that the Amazons were, were scattered and they forgot who they were? Was that Eric Luke? No. Was it? Mm, I don't remember, but you know what I mean? Yes, vaguely, and, but I'm not putting a number to it. And then it's like they suddenly remember and they sort of walk across a bridge and they're all coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not quite what's going on here either. Yeah. No, no, it's not. But that was the only thing that I could liken it to to try to answer your question, which I also had of what do you mean they're not already living there? And what do you mean that they're recruiting women who aren't Amazons? Like, I thought their whole thing was the seclusion. Um, yeah. I thought I thought that they were... Well, you're right. That wasn't clear. I wasn't clear if they were Amazons and somehow couldn't remember or if they were somehow related to Amazons. It was like or, the, one woman, one of the, the captain was like, we're looking for fellow warriors, yeah. but they also are immortals in these cultures kind of thing. Yeah. Like one of them was like, I was an immortal and I was treated like a god. And you recruited me to be an Amazon. That was the sequence. And I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense in some world. Yeah, just. Yeah, I guess that's why I thought maybe they already were Amazons because they were immortal. But why would they have gone off somewhere else? Yeah. Wasn't paradise enough for them? Right. Well, I mean, there have been some past Wonder Woman writers who are like, paradise is boring. Of course she'd want to leave. Well, no, huh. the definition of paradise is that it's everything you want. But anyway, yeah, no. um, I, I appreciated that there, that at least in terms of skin color and hair, there was diversity. I didn't see a whole lot of TNA diversity, yeah, because uh, I felt that the T and the A were, were pretty similar. But you know, they're um, athletic except- warriors. Bodybuilders <laughs> yes. are athletic. Right. And we should also always be like having the camera angle looking at those. Well, there was parts. there was quite literally one panel where someone was getting a spear in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh. to, show me, to show me that this woman is getting a spear in her upper back did not necessitate drawing her at an angle at which, which I am literally. But I can also see her breasts, both of them underneath. Yeah. If you're trying to show me she's a warrior who got surprised by a spear in the back, you're, that's not what you're showing me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, Amen. I was, when I started reading the book, I was like, this feels like, like old school, like an old school Thor book. Right. Me in too. a lot of ways. The and then, yeah. And then the way that they work in the villain, the villains, the kind of like big bad, if you will, in this issue, I was like, yeah, that's not doing anything to dissuade me from that comparison. Uh, mm-hmm. in this situation. Yep. Um, yeah, I picked it up because, you know, we're all on a Wonder Woman kick and, and there was something about its epicness, mythology kind of thing that I found appealing. But I, I don't know if that overcomes some of the, the criticisms that we're talking about here, the confusion over the plot and, and some of the visuals. Yeah. Well, I also have a, a, a totally unfair point to bring up. Mm-hmm. Never. <laughs> Which, um, no, I mean, I, I was thinking it when I read it, and Mara, you actually said it on Legendary Runs <laughs> about the person who, who pitched a similar plot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Renee DeLiz. Mm-hmm. What? And we could have really? had Odyssey of the Amazons told by Renee DeLiz. Uh, what? Yeah. They done what? screwed up. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I feel bad. I don't want to take anything away from from the I people do. who created it. I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. Renee DeLiz. It's a different. It's a different thing. You know. It's probably like they wanted a miniseries, an action-packed miniseries, so they, you know. Hired these guys. But, you know, but Legends, Renee DeLiz's book, someone, um, I want to say it was on the Beat website, but I can't remember. But sometime this week, oh, it's only Tuesday, sometime in the last few days, um, someone went across all these best comics of the year lists that are done at the end of the year and then um, added them all up. And so the the number one, it was like, you know, Vision and Saga were on 17 lists each or whatever. But Ren- Renee DeLiz's Legends was on like 13 lists. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was almost universally not only praised, but like praised really highly. Mm-hmm. She's and having so, a tough time getting season two out. Yeah. Well, there will, there won't Done. be a season two. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's not. I don't think it's. It doesn't feel like an Amazon book. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree like with Joe. Nineties Amazon book. I expect yes. Artemis to be in it. Well, they talk about Artemis. At one point, they mentioned yes. the name. But is it the same Artemis? No, I think they meant the god, not okay. not our poor dead reincarnated multiple times Artemis. <laughs> Can't catch a break. All right, so I'm in for six issues anyway, just because I got to know. I'm sorry, six? There's six. Six of them. I thought it was like a three. I was like, I'll give you three. Six yeah. issues? That's crazy. I'm, cover says I'm done. six. I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we have multiple perceptions here. I, I'm not in for six. Well, I'll let you guys know how it is. I mean, I yeah. read Thank you. I read a bunch of Finch's Wonder Woman, so I can do this. Ha! Uh, you're a better man than I am Gunga Din. Batgirl, <laughs> number seven. Hope Larson with art by a person with one of the most amazing names I've ever seen, Chris Wild Goose. (laughs) It is Son of Penguin Part 1. Barbara's back in Burnside. Finding things have very much changed as gentrification has come to the neighborhood, so I guess it's it's Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And things are changing around. The coffee shop she wanted is not there tries to get back into into the swing of things, finds herself in school, and in a lovely little bit of throwback, she's taking library science. I'm, I'm sure, Carolyn, that you squeed a little at that, as did sure I. Did. She at, at a work party, she meets Alicia and Joe. We got some yuppies who are complaining about how things are different. Uh, she also meets Ethan Cobblepot. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't look anything at all like his dad, so obviously the looks came from his mom. <laughs> um, she, she confers with Dick Grayson, which is, is a lovely moment about what's going on. They sort of get ready for a date. And I got to tell you, I hadn't thought of this, Joey, until now reading my own notes about this book. But they're telling the story of a modest proposal here. <laughs> there are there's some... Wait. There's some Wait, Bob, I actually missed a bit of your last few sentences, I think, for internet reasons. Would you mind repeating that? 
Oh, okay. I was I was saying to Joey that I hadn't realized until I read my own notes here, in that they're telling Jonathan Swift's a modest proposal in a certain way here because of their story about homeless folks. Um, it's it's a lovely way to, to reintroduce the idea of Barbara in her new hometown, Barbara mm-hmm. as detective, Barbara as a smart person, throwbacks to so many things. I, I didn't think I was going to enjoy Barbara doing Somerset Mom off in Asia, <laughs> whatever, and I kind of did. That really took off for me. But I read this issue, and it's yes, this is this is the the Fletcher Babstar. We're, we're back home, and it it's it's fun, but deep at the same moment. I thought anyway. What what's everyone else's thoughts? Or we or is it just you and I, Carolyn, on this one? Yep, you and I. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I I agreed. I didn't I did not dislike the um, sojourn to various Asian countries, but I found it difficult to care about it because I knew that it was temporary and I wanted to get back to the supporting cast. So I was happy to see Frankie who apparently is moving in with somebody and yeah. I was happy to see Alicia and Joe. And I was, I'm always happy to see Dick Grayson. Hmm. <laughs> Although <laughs> I was surprised that she called him to say that she was going out with Ethan Cobblepot, but then Dick sort of answers a call seemingly from someone else that maybe he's going out with. So that's okay. As long as they're yeah. both agreeing to do that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a, a bit, I already said heavy handed about Buffy, but I thought that the message about gentrification was a little repetitive. The unsympathetic, uh, wealthy hipster millennials kind of. Yeah. Um, but I thought the idea that maybe Ethan is, behind this um, safe streets program that gets homeless people off the streets, but to where we don't exactly know. Yeah. Are they eating um, them? The dredge- is, it the I don't know yet. is it the yeah. dregs again? I think They're so. going directly to the dregs. And, right. uh, <laughs> Jesus. It's a crossover, so, <laughs> intercompany crossover. <laughs> so it keeps us suspicious of Ethan, which I, I think is a good thing. Um, while sort of talking about what it's like to live uh, in many cities right now and being being priced out of those places. Yeah. So so yeah. I mean, over, overall, I thought it was good. It, it did. Yes, it felt to me like like Batgirl of Burnside has returned. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, also in the DC universe, um, Detective Comics number nine forty nine came out. This is a Batwoman finale. Or a Batwoman Begins finale, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, James Tinian and Marguerite Bennett, with Ben Oliver on artwork. Um, All at the top of their form, I think. Go ahead, yeah. Omar, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, you get a little bit of the flashbacks where Kate has been observing Batman and figuring out what he does, how he does it, who he is, and using that information to create her own superhero. And that story is running kind of parallel with what's going on in modern day where her father's imprisoned in the Belfry and the work that he's been doing with the colony has come up to, I don't want to say haunt her, but um, challenge, challenge her. So it's kind of an interesting way to, to present both of those stories of this is what she's dealing with now and this is how she became who she is today. Well put. 
I, mm-hmm. I did one uh, well put. Absolutely. That, that I would have spent about ten minutes doing that. <laughs> um, I, I have to say the the idea of sort of retconning Jacob into this. I'm going to have to now reread my Batwoman books mm-hmm. to see where that sort of fits in. But it does fit to his personality at that time too. So. Yeah. I think our two writers, uh, James Tynan and certainly Marguerite Bennett, have, have done their homework. It is spooky and scary. Kate is Kate takes on Batman and does a heck of a good job. That's all I'm going to say. People should read how this plays itself out. Her version of how we do things is certainly different than his, as it would be. Yeah. Her intelligence is, is how she found her way to observe what she's observing and how she works with her dad, not knowing what that's going to be. And the the back and forth between them is, is really sort of special. And, and Kate to Batman, you want to end crime, I want to end war. Yeah. 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 Sounds about right. And and that comes back around in, in the lines that end the book that I'm not going to spoil. People should be reading this, particularly since the Batwoman solo book. It's coming out this month. Starts, yes, very, very soon. And I'm still going to start with, keep with Detective, because we're now getting into League of Shadows. We still mm-hmm. have the monster stuff swirling in, which now I know everyone told me I shouldn't have skipped those monster issues. I apologize. I will buy them. <laughs> now, having seen some uh, cool monster in this book and how the hierarchy of the colony works, yeah. Loving Detective took took a flyer on it when it first came out, and it continues to surprise every month. All right. Um, any other thoughts? We good? Uh, no, I I just um, I, you want to end crime. I want to end war. I thought was was kind of the key to the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was very good. And I thought the last one was very good too. This Batwoman begins yeah. du- duology or whatever. But yes. I I just. I'm really having a hard time getting behind where Jacob is in the present day plot line. Mm-hmm. And it's been enough issues. You think I would just give into it by now, but I'm having difficulty with that. Hopefully they address it more in the solo series coming up. Yeah. Um, hopefully, or at least get him to change his mind or something. Right. He's not one to change his mind though, but it'll be, no. it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we got a couple Marvel books we want to hit on, um, starting with Spider Woman number fifteen. Bob. <gasps> oh, I. This book is going to be hard to talk about. I think. Yes. Well, only because there's stuff happening, and I don't want to spoil a surprise. But it's Dennis Hopeless, Veronica Fish, and it is every bit the wonderfully written and drawn drawn book it has been. We. Start with this flashback to last week regarding the untimely demise of Roger the Porcupine mm-hmm. at the hands of the Hobgoblin, who apparently has been franchising supervillains like they're McDonald's. <laughs> it, is, it is just so, so clever, and it really sort of works. You wonder how all this sort of stuff happens. They got the tinkerer on board to, to re-up people's gear. We flash forward to our present, and Jessica is out for revenge for what happened to her friend. And we got some Ben Urich going on. Jess is in really big trouble when she gets a save from Hoodie Guy. 
whatever we, we want to call him. <laughs> and it, it is just absolutely charming and wonderful and romantic and funny and smart and all the things that this book has been since Dennis Hopeless got past the Spider-Verse event for a couple of issues, though they weren't bad in their own way, but once you hit the ground with, with Jess as a private eye, superhero, and then eventually mom, mm-hmm. there's a reason this book was on our list, because this is just spectacular, and I sure hope that some of those rumors are not true. Yes, yeah, definitely one of my favorite series to come out, and if it goes away, I don't I don't know what I'll do. Be very sad, I guess. Um Definitely pick up number 15, especially if you've, um, I mean, obviously if you've been reading the series, you're already, you're still reading it, but I would encourage you to go back a couple issues, pick up those and leading up into this one. Cause it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's a, it's a good, good ending to it. Yeah. From the day at the beach up through where we are here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Hulk number two. Someone else should go first. I'm just saying. Okay. Okay. Go for Mara. Um, Mariko Tamaki and Nico Leon. This is our Hulk series featuring Jen Walters, who is not the Hulk anymore. Um, she is lawyering and helping the superhero community or super powered community um, and trying to suppress her Hulk anger, rage, and transformations while also providing those services to, to people who are just kind of clueless, basically. Um, it feels like not a whole lot happens in this issue, um, but it does give us a little bit more characterization of Jen and where she's at right now, where she's trying to enjoy being who she is while also coming to grips with the fact that the world sees Hulk as a villain, as someone who should have been put down, who was justly killed in action, and that that's a hard thing to deal with, especially if, you know, it's your cousin. They're all spewing hatred about. And you're not too far removed from the situation he was in um, right. when he was killed. So there's a lot of emotional stuff going on in this issue. Um, it's it's still very interesting to me. It's still something I like. I'm I'm here in this comic because I'm ready for... Jen to Hulk out and start dating male models again and talking to me <laughs> as I'm reading yeah. her book. Uh, that that being said, that already exists. So I appreciate coming at this character from a different approach, especially after such a traumatic event. Um, I also appreciate that Jen's clothes all look like they're too big for her, um, <laughs> highlighting the fact that she loved being She-Hulk way more than she loved being Jen, so naturally, all of her fun, fashionable clothes just aren't her size anymore. Yeah. Um, I liked it for a lot of the same reasons. Um, Marco Tamaki. I also just really adore the visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nico Leon and Dalibor Talajic. Okay. Perfect. And Matt Miller on colors in particular, I just really love. It's vibrant. It's it it bounces. It, it has an energy to it, but it never loses. Um, it never loses the weight. I think like what I'm really enjoying about this book is it is strange seeing Jen 
as Jen and not She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it is strange because, you know, you read other books and she's there and green and, and big and all of that. Um, and, and in this book, she's not, she's, she's holding that down. And, and I don't know for how much longer I have a feeling if not next issue, the issue after you're going to get that Hulk out moment. Um, if I had to predict, but I'm liking the, I'm liking the voice. I'm liking the trajectory of it. It feels like a different book. It feels like something that I'm not getting anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have that story being told with She-Hulk makes it all the more fascinating for me. Um, because, because you do have a picture of, of what that character is and what Marco Tamaki is doing and the art team is doing is kind of twisting that and, and almost flipping it in a way. In a lot of ways, it's like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but like, it's, it's okay. So like a book that, you know, we loved a couple of years ago, Hawkeye, mm-hmm. which kind of filled its niche and did its thing. Um, which took pieces of the Hawkeye mythos, but didn't necessarily feel like anything that had come before it, at least in terms of that character. Um, and here what it's doing, yeah, it sucks that it's coming out of an event that, you know, well, we'll talk about in a second. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of what it's doing for the character and where it could potentially take the character, I am into it. And I, I do want to kind of see where it goes. And it really does help that visually it's really cool to look at too um and like you're saying with like the clothes and and her facial expressions and the moments where the kind of hulk is like building up inside of her the Mm -hmm. ways that those are illustrated are really powerful moments and you know it raises questions about like does she not want to hulk out because of the whole you know she was in that coma and she was at her weakest when she was a she hulk or is it because like the moment in the park socially how the Hulk is viewed. Like you were just talking about Mara and how like something big and green is the villain. And yeah. does, does she want to put herself in that position? Um, and it clearly makes her uncomfortable. And I think that moment is, is, is a, a powerful moment in this issue. Um, yeah. Two issues in, I'm really interested to see where it goes. Uh, I'll say the same thing I said last time though, like three or four issues of this I'm in, but how sustainable is this kind of trajectory um when do we move to something more not more but when do we move to the next stage of the process when do we move to something um that isn't like i'm trying to i gotta watch cake videos you Mm -hmm. know um which is a, a which is a a uh a powerful moment when she's like smashing that iPad or whatever it is, the the iPhone trying to watch this cake video, you know, it has weight to it, but I can't do that for 20 issues. You Mm -hmm. know, like something has to move forward in the next couple, I think. Yeah. I like it. Here we go. go. I saved you for last because I knew. (laughs) Yeah. See, I, I read this and I loved, um, Ms. Tamaki's, graphic novel was it one magic summer this one summer this this one summer i'm sorry i absolutely enjoyed that even though i didn't remember the title properly (laughs) and i I, and the art is is lovely and all but i'm a little heartsick in that a character that was so in touch with herself 
once Roger Stern found that key to unlock what her character really should be, is now so filled with self-loathing. I'm 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 a little upset mm-hmm. in that we have we have a character that was so powerful, so wonderfully in charge, so much agency that we've knocked that all to pieces for the sake of an event that no one around here really cares for. I'm I'm unable to separate myself from that. So even if this was the best book on the stand, I'm carrying all that baggage with me. Yeah. And so I look at it and the kid's playing Kill the Hulk in the park. Well, the Hulk helped save how many people too? Yeah. You know, he was pardoned by the government more than once, even with Thunderbolt Ross chasing him around. <laughs> and he got killed for the sake of clickbait headlines. Uh I'm I'm troubled. I really do hope we we change it over. I don't think we're ever going to see the Charles Soule, Dan Slott, Steve Gerber, certainly John Byrne, She-Hulk again. We're in somewhere else right now, and it may take a long time to come back around to that. And I get there are other books like that in the Marvel Universe right now, but wouldn't the She-Hulk, as written for most of her history for all these years be such a lovely compliment to things like Patsy Walker and Squirrel Girl in that part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. It doesn't need to be in this angst-ridden portion of it where that's just antithemical to her history. Well, I mean, and it's it's kind of this, something similar happened to me, flip it, with, um, with uh, coming out of Bendis, Brubaker, Diggle, Daredevil into Mark Wade, Chris Samney, Daredevil. Which Chris Samney, Mark Wade, Daredevil is one of the best things from the last 10 years. I think we can all agree in terms of the execution there and visually. But I knew and loved that that gritty, crime-driven Daredevil. Um, and when Mark Wade, Chris Samney's run came out, it was it was too bright for me. It was too light. It didn't it didn't have that 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 pathos at least from my reading of it uh-huh. you know so i st- i st- i st- i it took me i didn't probably read mark way chris sandy daredevil until maybe last year i just kind of blasted through and i enjoyed it but i still have the bendis i both bendis omni buy and both brubaker omni buy on my shelf because they hit me so hard you know um there are versions of the characters that 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 uh you know you want and and I don't, I don't, I don't read Daredevil anymore because I just, it never clicked again with me. Um, and Mara says it all the time, like those books are out there and I can go read those books. Um, but I'm with you, Bob, in the sense of like, do we ever get that version back? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do we ever get, and we'll talk about a very important character in a couple of minutes. Like we're really hyping this up. This yeah, like so we are. Thing. the bill. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about another character in a couple of minutes about like, do we ever get that version of that character back? Like with Wonder Woman, we're getting, or at least I don't know, but at the way that you guys talk about it, it seems like we're getting a version of Wonder Woman back. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Um, do we ever get She-Hulk back? Do we ever get? you know, that version that we loved back, or do we just kind of have to like go back into those old issues and live there? Sitting on the floor in front of me, I just pulled them out. They just did the second volume of trade paperback of the John Byrne. Yes, they did. 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, I do have the solo issues because I was a fan then, as I am now. I have those two. I even pulled out his original graphic novel where she ends up stuck as the She-Hulk and Reed is telling her, you're going to be stuck like this forever as, as a She-Hulk. And, she went, and that's a problem. Why? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That's the gen fighting, you know, giant radioactive cockroaches I want to read about, or Sprague the Living Hill. And it, it, it is, uh, again, I, I, I do want to say, I don't think this is a bad book. I don't even think it's a, a, an insult to the character. It's, it's a return at some level to where she was at, where she was just a Hulk before. And I guess since there isn't a Hulk who's anxious about being a Hulk. Because Amadeus Cho, at some level, is now the She-Hulk. <laughs> right? I mean, character-wise. Yeah, totally. Because he's the totally awesome Hulk, right? Yeah. So maybe that's the, the, the niche she fills. But for me, here, here's a, as, as an interesting corollary, at least. Well, I think it's interesting. If you have Ben Grimm as part of the Guardians of the Galaxy flying around space with a whole bunch of other weird, monstery characters, the pathos of the thing disappears. Right. So here, the, the the reverse is true. If we don't have the 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 Jen Walters who is really cool with being the She Hulk and and you know lawyering as a seven foot tall green goddess in a in a power suit, I, there's something fundamentally not there. It's only two issues. I'm look. I'm in. I I just complained for a half an hour. <laughs> But I'm in yeah. because it's the She-Hulk. Yeah. So let's let's head on Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Oh my quick, god, Bob. Oh my god. I, I, I will be quick. <laughs> I will. I will be quick. It, it's Amy Reader, Brandon Montclair, Natasha Bustos back on art. I mean, opens with a quote from Lunella. I always wish. I always wished something would happen in science class. Be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. Robotic drones with giant tentacles are on the hunt for Moon Girl from a very aggravated source who doesn't like being knocked down the Marvel intelligence list. And his name is Dr. Doom. <gasps> what? Yeah, he's he, Victor is, is not happy about this. It was bad enough he had to finish second to read, let alone to some kid from PS20 on the Lower East Side. Riri Williams shows up, so we got some science girl adventure stuff going on. It is another great issue of showing this character's intelligence. She is growing issue to issue. Maybe she took some some truth from what Ben Grimm is saying to her last issue by getting the chip off her shoulder. I look, it, It's the girl geniuses on parade, and I'm loving this, loving what's going to happen with the Wasp and this. I'm... Like, I've been in on this one since I first heard Brandon and Amy talk about this at New York Comic Con, and I continue to enjoy the heck out of each and every issue. Mara, you read this one? No. I'm not picking it up issue to issue. I just bought the second train. Oh, okay. You're going to love where we're headed here is all I'm going to say. Excellent. Um, So the comic y'all have been building up. Since <laughs> tearing down, as the case may be, yeah. or just talking about in general, um, is one that I did not read this week. So y'all are going to have to to um, parse that out. I'm trying to take out negativity in my life. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, this is this is one where the title of it was like, "Nah, I'm good." So, All right, here we go. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. Go. 
Civil War II, The Oath. Finally! I said to my comic book guy, I was like, are we done with this? He's like, (laughs) yeah. It sets up the next event really well. I was like, damn it! (laughs) Um, So let me preface this by saying it took me three days to read through this book. Uh, Positive here? Oh, okay. Let me... Nick Spencer wrote it. Nick, Nick Spencer wrote it. Positive here. Rod Rice, Phil Noto, Rafael Ienko, Simon yep, Kudransky, yep. Donald Sanchez Almara, leaving the letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Amazing. I love Phil Noto. He's one of my absolute favorites. Rod Rice too. Like that is just that that visual type. I just I love it. I adore it. It, it really sings in this book. Everything else though, story wise. Uh, in my notes, I originally wrote the word hate, but that felt a little strong. <laughs> And I didn't want to. I didn't want to buy into that negativity. So rather, let me put it this way: I had a tough time with this book. Um, <laughs> you, Civil War II set up as a conflict between you know uh, Iron Man and and Captain Marvel, and you know we talked through that that whole series about the execution, the timing, the plot itself, the characterization, et cetera, et cetera. What Oath does is. It's told from the perspective of Captain America, uh, Hydra Cap, because that's yeah, the thing, right. um, who comes in as sort of an echo back to the Captain America Iron Man epilogue to Civil War One, And we get some beautiful panels where they kind of stage it in similar ways. And those did hit. I did feel an emotional response to those. But the things that Hydra Cap talks about in here um, – uh, were uncomfortable and difficult, I think, um, for me at least, and, and we can talk about it. Um, Spencer positions him, and it's, it is Hydra Cap. It's not real, quote-unquote, Steve Rogers, but it's Steve Rogers. Like, And to watch him say things, uh, you know, criticizing, standing over comatose Tony Stark and talking about how Stark's futurist agenda filled with progressivism and forward thinking or whatever is just elitist nonsense and, ta- and nonsense and talks about how Carol Danvers' desire to protect people is just a thinly veiled egotistical power grab and how superheroes are just, approval, right? yeah. yeah, and how superheroes are just self-centered self-saboteurs more interested in fighting each other over who is right than actually doing anything. To see Steve Rogers saying these things, Hydrocap or not, was difficult. Um, and some of them, like, could potentially make for interesting story threads, but in that voice was hard to grab. Um, it's ca- and, and the other thing that made it really problematic for me is it's all couched in this sort of, uh, you know, this ethos of everyday people are afraid and they're angry and they're taking back the country from the elitist superheroes. And, mm-hmm. and it's a tough thing to swallow, both from Captain America, Steve Rogers, and obviously because of, you know, the world that's happening around us. Um, it builds to the whole secret empire event, which I guess uh, now makes total sense given the universe that we live in and the universe of Hydra Cap. Um it builds to that, and yes, it's still Hydra Cap, but it really, really kind of almost hurt in a way to see a character that I'm so connected to, you know, and and uh, and also just made me really anxious. You know, I'm already feeling these things anyway, and to see 
both on a kind of fictional level, the demeaning of Carol Danvers and Tony Stark as kind of like, they're just sycophants out for their own position. Um, it's tough to get through. And then obviously positioning that too, like rhetorically with what's going on in the world, I, I kind of wanted civil war two to end. And then for us to go back to heroes being heroes, which champions seem to promise and some of these you know spinning out of books may have seemed to promise but it, i'm just you're not just getting you're, there's just no optimism here and it builds to such a way that like it almost feels like like i watch the news i don't need to read it in my comic books you know like uh i'm not using a person's name here in talking about this book but the rhetoric that steve rogers is using in this book sounds like what we've been hearing uh, and and it was just really hard to see that come out of him. And I understand that we're trying to position him as a certain figure, as a certain type of character, this Hydra Cap thing. Um, but it doesn't make it any less difficult or less kind of off-putting as mm-hmm. as a story, as something that you know I want to read. It's almost too real in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I don't know. I'll just I'll hand it off, and then I'll I'll say some other things later. But Carolyn, what'd you think? Did you uh, love that? Did you hate well, that? You know, there there was no way to turn off political science me um, it, while reading this because I don't mind, and, and I would venture to say none of us actually mind politics in our comics. All comics are political in some ways. What made this... <laughs> what made this difficult was absolutely everything you said, which I agree with, but also that you were literally being talked at for yeah. thousands of words. I mean, and I do mean talked at. This is a monologue that could be someone up at a podium shaking their fist in the air. Mm. Every single panel of this comic was that. So uh, now that's not to say that it wasn't, it was a diatribe. It was well written. It had reason. It had outrage. Um, but uh, I mean, I will use names because, again, you know, political scientist me was like, okay, this is interesting. You have gone a long way all the way through this event to come to this moment to yeah. basically say that Trump and his allies are Hydra and that Democrats and Republicans are the two groups of blind establishment fools, that is superheroes, who are really just about their own power. And they, Democrats and Republicans and super and the two sides of superheroes, have lost touch with regular people. And they've done so little for regular people that they have engendered ignorance and fear and anger and enabled the rise of totalitarianism, fascism, hydraism, the idea of a literal shield to be built to keep out aliens. People want someone who can get things done and make them safe. And this establishment is not doing that. And Cap is part of the problem, but he presents himself as part of the solution. Yeah, he's he's saying he's someone he somehow gets people to believe he's against that establishment and against the enrichment of those at the top and the abuse of regular people. But he himself has participated in it and benefit from it for years. He's a person who Hydra Cap is out for his own power and glory, but he somehow makes regular Americans feel like he's on their side. Um, and so it ends with, it, it ends with <laughs> the, yeah. this, this world of totalitarianism that Cap is envisioning with 
with the stock market going up and kids getting bullied and quote unquote others being separated and detained and put into camps. And, um, you know, it was, I appreciated it politically. I thought that the words that were chosen to convey all this were clearly really well thought out. Um, and I appreciated the number of really key words that, that Spencer was using to convey what he was trying to convey. Comic reader me was bored. Yeah. You know, so the political scientist in me was like, huh, wow, this is an interesting thing that you've done here. And comic reader me was like, I don't need to be preached at for 22 pages. Yeah. And it's a question too, like, you know, you pick up on the, the populism right away. You pick up on the, the Trump, corollary right away mm-hmm. uh, with some of the language and it escalates in a way and yeah. and it took me three days to read not because it was it was a, a monologue and it got stale but i just needed to almost like just be like I, I can't read any of this i need a break uh and and it escalates that those final panels there's a moment where it's it's picture it's images of like Cyclops, basically, you know, and and it's like people were afraid when, uh, you know, uh, children got the ability to incinerate them just by looking at them. Mm -hmm. And they were and they and they became angry when you told them that they were wrong to be afraid. And I was like, I've heard this before. I see it on the news. I understand what we're doing with the arc here. But. Again, it's like, this is my Captain America saying this. And is this where I want my comics to go? It, that That's where I kind of just tuned out. It wasn't just that it was, it was boring for me, but I was just like, this is not a direction that I need to see the books go. I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. I, think, I think so many people want Hydra Cap to be over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that makes it hard just right off the bat. And the the length and the detail and the discomfort that you feel when you're reading it. And I read it again yesterday, and I'm looking at this concentration camp stuff. And yesterday yeah. was Fred Korematsu's birthday, and I was just like, oh, this is too much. I can't deal with this. Yeah. Like Saturday night, I was with my immigrant parents and my immigrant aunt and uncle and my immigrant grandparents celebrating oh, happy, happy our, our ethnic happy new year you know like <laughs> and and i knew that i had this freaking book on my nightstand and two-thirds of it still to read you know like it just it it it, it was it was tough for for those reasons and uh uh it's hard because part of me as an english teacher wants to talk about the ways in which fiction explores the culture and the world of its time. Sure. Right. That's an important facet of storytelling. And that's what Spencer's doing here. And that's what Marvel's trying to do here. They're taking what's happening around us and translating it into this world. I was very unsettled, however, you know, like there's just some, there's something there that, that is just, it was tough. For me, as, as a dramatic piece of storytelling, I've said this before, the idea of Cap as the bad guy might have played well for four issues or six issues, not what apparently it looks to be four years worth of this. 
Because if Cap, if you want to do something edgy with Captain America, if he's been dead in Dimension Z or an old man for the last five years, the edgy story to tell would be Captain America as Steve Rogers' hero. And in this world right now, we need Captain America more than ever. A little bit of old-fashioned would go a long way right now, to <laughs> paraphrase the Avengers movie. To, to throw this back, we had Steve Englehart on our show some years back, who wrote Cap during the 70s. And he wrote a storyline, it's the original Secret Empire. Yeah. Which was a cabal of rich people kidnapping mutants to create power, a power structure of their own within the government. And I'm going to spoil a 45-year-old storyline. Sorry, folks. On the White House lawn, a giant spaceship filled with captured mutants shows up and Cap chases the cowled commander inside the White House. And it's President Nixon. And he shoots it's himself. Nixon. <laughs> now, Cap becomes so disillusioned with the process of America, the, the government who rules without ruling, the shadow government, so on and so forth, abandons the Captain America identity, but not the ideals, and becomes nomad, the man without a country, and realizes not so far in that it's not the ideals of the country that are wrong, it is certain people within it, and takes it all back, and when at both, when he abandons it and takes it back, they are they are stand up and cheer while you ring the book moments, and I, I I've now looked at a year's worth of this here and there in the store, and I I don't know where we're going to get that. I think they're trying very hard to have it be a dystopian, certainly not fantasy, but dystopian nightmare. Yeah, and I I want something different from the character who's supposed to represent everything that's the other side. I. Get it? You want to tell a different story, but boy, I need something else. Yeah. And, and I also, I also okay. get, uh, sorry, I did just a quick thing. I also get that that the Doc Ock is Spider-Man experiment was something that people also hated at first and then came around to liking. But this this just feels different from that to me. Yeah, it's, it's doubling down and then adding a real world context that isn't easily kind of like redressed or changed. Yeah. It's, it's also the question that we have in real life too. Like, like how do we, how do we address this new world? How do we, how do we come out of Hydra cap? Like if you don't see mm -hmm. an end here, like, yeah. um, and, and uh, maybe secret empire is the end to it, but, but I, it's just not like, I don't know. There's something about, I think what's so unsettling about it was, you know, when they did Secret Empire 1 and when they did Dark Reign, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was Norman Osborn. And and you knew then that this character who was manipulating himself into this position was going to get his comeuppance. Mm -hmm. Does Steve Rogers Hydra Cap get his comeuppance and from whom the positioning of both Tony Stark and Carol Danvers here does not present them as 
heroes at least in a, in a position to oppose so is it is it then is it then the young heroes is that what we're positioning is there a way out of this that then kind of says like there is hope and it is in the future heroes that that haven't you know succumbed to this system maybe that is an interesting pathway out of this but just like in real life uh, you know wh- where what are the next steps i don't know maybe jessica jones's client in her book is right oh. <laughs> And this is all an alternate reality. But that was my th- yeah, exactly. Yeah, could be. So it's the the cosmic cube girl or whatever. Uh, look, having having Steve turn Carol back into the Brian Reed version of the character, someone desperate to have someone else say she's great or, or the best she is. That that I found off putting. Uh, yes, the, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that though because. Because some people who only know the new Captain Marvel might have been surprised at that characterization of her yeah. and thought that it didn't quite fit. But there is a history of her having having that characterization um, yeah. in, in that Brian Reed run and in um, House of M. Mm-hmm. That she wants to be recognized. She wants to be important. She wants to be the best of the best. See, I always read that as when when house of m positioned her as bendis positioned her as like the greatest hero of the marvel universe in house of m and then brian reader spun that out and and it was more like she realized her potential there yeah and then that series was about i don't know if it was executed well i read through it and i was like oh mystique's here um and uh, (laughs) and uh and and then when kelly sue kind of spun that into that whole higher further faster more mentality which kind of is the same notion right like punch holes in the sky be better than be better than even your wildest dreams um but the, but again it's just the way that like freaking it's the way that steve rogers yeah twists that and twists the language um if it had been red skull steve rogers you know or if it had been something like that i would have like and and it's just yeah i don't know and 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 you wouldn't know that this is hydra cap unless you a read the recap page or if you've been reading steve rogers captain america Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about like the people that read civil war ii and haven't been reading those other books picked up this other book (laughs) and was like oh you know what yeah, Tony Stark and, and Captain Marvel, they do suck. You know, that like like it's not I don't know. It just yeah, it just wasn't a, it just didn't leave the put the pieces in the right places for me for in terms of where like a Marvel universe that I I want to be involved in the big stories for. Yeah. Let me let me close with this with, with just one simple phrase. Make Captain America great again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Um, We have a couple more things to hit on before we wrap up. But first, a quick visit to the Star Wars corner. There Um, we go. Issue 27 came out. And this is uh, Jason Aaron and Salvador La Roca. And uh, um, La Roca had recently just wrapped up the Darth Vader series. Um, This has been an interesting arc in that... Previously, we've been getting Luke reading an entry from Ben's journal and getting a one one shot of um, Obi-Wan in the desert doing desert things. Nice. <laughs> but this one is Luke reading Ben's journal while in space trying to hunt down R2-D2 who went rogue to go find C-3PO who was captured by an elite troop of stormtroopers nice. after the rebels hijacked a Star Destroyer. 
So mm-hmm. Luke is reading the journal entry, and it's Ben writing a a um, a story about Yoda. So you're you're reading Ben's story about Yoda by reading Luke. Um, right. It's a little bit convoluted, but it's it's an interesting one. Yoda's on a planet, lots of children around. They have something called stone power, um, which is more or less the same thing as the Force, the unifying um, force all around us, and it connects us, binds us. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And how Yoda is dealing with this unfamiliar territory. These young children who yeah, some of them want to kill him. Some of them want to throw rocks at him. Some of them want to um, call him a frog and you know, mm-hmm. things like that. It's it's kind of an interesting um, arc. Um, it's not my favorite one so far, but we're only two issues into it. Yes, I think the idea that the force is in the rocks and when they the rocks hit on each other, mm-hmm. it creates a kind of a disturbance. And the force is an interesting yeah. concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Yoda. <laughs> I mean, what what else is there to say? He's yeah. Yoda. Yeah. Um, and the and uh, the way he's drawn is just pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. But I am really not caring about uh, Lord of the Flies planet. Yeah. I just don't need to see boys with war paint and bad hair using slang to talk about how much they hate the other boys with the war paint and the, and the bad hair. <laughs> yep. Interesting, interesting arc, um, especially coming off of that really cool Star Destroyer one. But, yeah. But you know what? Uh, peaks and, and valleys. Yes. Hear us talk about the first 26 issues of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we there's been recently um, released the Glad Award nominees. Um, Glad standing for uh, oh gosh, I don't know what Glad stand for. Um, Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Thank you, thank you. Nailed it. Um, and their their nominations span across several different mediums, but the one that we're most concerned about is the comics one um, because it has a lot of books that we have talked about <laughs> on it. Um, all new X Men, which this past year had the introduction of um, Bobby as being gay. Uh, Black Panther, which features a lesbian relationship. DC Comics Bombshells, which, yeah. Um, yeah. Kim <laughs> and Kim. Kim and has a transgender um, creator as well as a character, which is awesome. The Love is Love anthology. Aww. Lumberjanes. Yep. Uh, Midnighter and Midnighter and Apollo, which is something that we haven't touched on at all. Um, so I may have to go check that out. Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. Saga. Telekinian! (laughs) (laughs) Saga, which we had already kind of mentioned earlier about uh, a little bit of uncomfortableness um, with, with one of the characters. And then The Woods, which is a boom book that I think I read the first issue or two of it, but never, never came back to it. So, um, all good books. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting choices there. Uh, and and Supergirl for TV also. What? Oh, oh, I didn't see that part. Oh my goodness. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. Um, and yeah, for Supergirl, Shadow Hunters, Orphan Black, Winona Earp, and the is it the OA or is it the OA? The OA. Okay. The wah. The uh, wah. And, the and, uh. and Steven Universe, all for TV. Interesting. Cool. 
Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for media recommendations, check out that list. Um, obviously all the comics that they nominated are great. Um, we have one listener question and this is one that's was directed at me, but I want to throw it back to the listeners to get more feedback for, um, for this person. This is from Don Knapp, who is a principal at a middle school. And he says that he does a comic book club with his students and they read books together. They come back to talk about it. He buys the comics for the club. So each student has their own copy to read. It's all really cool. I love it. Um, and this year he says he wants to do manga in, in the book club, which is great. A lot of preteens, teenagers, that, that um, age group love manga stories. And what he's looking for is um, two suggestions of manga. Um, and I would think that they would be kind of thematically similar to each other. So you can read them at the same time and, and do the, um, the trans text connections and things like that. So I'm going to give two pairs of recommendations. And listeners, will you tweet at Talking Comics to let us know more um, suggestions for this? Because this is really cool and we want to um, give as many options as possible. Yeah. My first pairing is Naruto and Kimi ni Todoke, uh, which are completely different. Naruto is a, uh, a ninja fantasy story about Naruto who doesn't fit in with his, his peers. And then Kimi ni Todoke is a school drama where a young woman doesn't fit in with her peers because she looks like the girl from the ring. And so they kind of, well, that'll do it. Yeah, they kind of ostracize her. So it's two different settings, um, but both deal with adolescents not fitting in with their peers or being rejected for something that they can't really control. And then my next pairing is Haiku and Kuroko's Basketball. And both of them are sports stories. Um, Haiku is volleyball and it's about a volleyball team and these two new players who have to learn how to, how to play off each other's strengths because um, neither one of them can, can play the game by themselves, basically. And Kuroko's basketball is about a new basketball team coming together, you know, freshmen and everything, and realizing that the most important player on their team is not the one who's the showiest. It's the one that you don't see him. He, he works behind the scenes on the court, and he, he sets everyone up for success. So... Those are those are my two sets of recommendations. So if you've got more, um, tweet at Talking Comics. Um, give us some more middle school appropriate manga. <laughs> um, so avoid the ones that have fan service in them or um, too much blood or, and things like that. <laughs> so, but I think I think it's really cool. I think more middle schools need comic book clubs. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be it for this week's episode. As always, you can send us comments or questions through our email, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. And also on Twitter, like I mentioned, at TalkingComics. Um, check out TalkingComicBooks.com for so many things um, going up daily, including the Sunstone Volume 5 review that Bob is putting together. So that'll be online for your perusal. Oh, thanks for putting the pressure on me. No, no. Right to, back to writing. That you already good. mentioned it, so it's all good. <laughs> We have a uh, new legendary runs um, that just came out, Vision. Um, yes. And yes, so good. And our next yep. one is Green Lantern co starring Green Arrow. Yes. Which has been, I'm three issues into it so far. I'm like, man. Uh, right. Traveling heroes. Timeless. Right. <laughs> um, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. It's, it's really good so far. Um, 
what about that's top a legendary sh- run it is it is mm-hmm. um that top might shelf. get some uh, by the way that one might get some consideration for our future hall of fame Ooh. yeah so i'm just saying yeah. just putting it out there every week we should just like tease the hall of fame stuff and that's then never do it this is gonna go with the hall of fame and every week we just bring it up and then like <laughs> It never happens. <laughs> just wait for uh, someone is, to, is to say it. Is the Hall of Fame like a Google Doc somewhere that you can keep adding to? Or where's the repository of the Hall of Fame? Bob's head. Uh, He's got it okay. all up there. Bob's head. All right. <laughs> but a Google Doc is probably a, a better idea. Yeah. Um, so Top Shelf Book Club. Um, I know you all have some. Steve's got some stuff going on right now. Um, as a, right, but Death, death Follows. Mm-hmm. Which was Melissa Megan's pick okay. will be coming very soon. Yes, yes. Um, Matt joined the Talking Games podcast, so he's talking video games with those folks. Um, nice. D&D podcast, movie podcast, Talking Valiant, just lots and lots of things. A little bit of something for everyone. So, um, Joey, where can our listeners find you? At Joey Bertino on Twitter, 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 Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Cut that out. Cut it out. Don't cut it out. Leave it in. Yeah. Um, Bob? Uh, on oldest lamps at like three left and one right. So I'm still at Bob Ryer talking comic books.com. And Carolyn? Um. Oh, well, uh, Steve is at dead underscore anchoress on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I uh, am still an email person, so cocac at oldwestberry.edu. Yes, and you can find me on Twitter at megamom. Mega mom. Oh, man, Joey. <laughs> Just cut it out. Just cut it all out. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Mega marmon. Blah. <laughs> all right, this is a good sign that we need to get out of here. So, for Bob. Have a good night, Steve. Joey. No matter what Jonathan Swift says, don't eat babies. (laughs) And Carolyn. Uh, I can't follow that. Good night. (laughs) I'm Mara Wood. Until next time, to be continued.